If you love comics, then you don't want to miss today's episode of the Writer's Corner live show. Our guest is Rich Davis. He's the creator of Cult of Dracula and The Rise of Dracula, which sold, I think the Cult of Dracula sold more than 250,000 copies and it's optioned for film and television. Rich is also an original cast member of the Netflix original series called Swap Shop. Don't go away. We will be right back. You've just joined us. Welcome to the Writer's Corner live show. I'm Bridgette Lembanda from Cape Town in South Africa. And in today's episode of the Writer's Corner live show, we'll be talking to Rich Davis. If this is your first time watching the Writer's Corner live show, we've been going for just over four years. So whether you're watching us over on Facebook, on LinkedIn, on Twitch, on Twitter, or Amazon Live, a hearty, warm welcome to each one of you. And our live stream is made possible by Creative Edge, StreamYard, and Be Live Media. One of the things Mary and I are particularly passionate about is helping authors market this. It's one of the reasons we started the show in the first place. But with COVID, people have switched over to um, a more hybrid way of marketing their books. And so when we start the show, we'd like to give you one or two tips that will help you level up when you are marketing your book. Now, I know a lot of the authors simply use their phone to go live um, when they market their books. So what people do is it's a natural inclination to use their phone in portrait mode. So here's a tip for you that will make a huge, huge, huge big difference. Simply turn your phone into landscape mode, which means you have so much more real estate to manage with. And another quick tip is put your phone on a tripod, any kind of tripod, but stabilize your phone. Use a stabilizer, use something because you'll get tired of holding your phone and people will get seasick when your hand moves while you're trying to talk and also in in um, landscape mode you'll have enough screen real estate to show your book comfortably um, and talk to people in a more relaxed manner so if you've missed the introduction to the show um, we are talking to rich davids but before we bring him onto screen my amazing co-host and friend is mary elizabeth jackson um, from the USA. Mary is also an, an accomplished author, children's book author. She's a disabilities advocate and a ghostwriter. Um, so go and check out her books as well. Mary will be joining us soon. But to introduce our, um, our author for today, Rich Davis, he is the creator of Cult of Dracula um, by Sourcepoint Press. His first comic was called Cult of Dracula, and it sold more than 250,000 copies and is optioned for film and television. 
The other exciting part of his life is that he's also an original cast member of a Netflix original series called Swap Shop. So without any further ado, let's give a hearty warm welcome to Rich, shall we? Rich, welcome. Hey Hi, Gary. Thank you. Great to have you. Hi. Yeah, I, I have to say that was a great intro. <laughs> Thank you I very love much. The video. Yeah, we're Thank all you. color. We're all color coordinated. We yeah. all talk before the show. No, I'm kidding. We all. Yeah, no, <laughs> makes you feel very special, doesn't it? So, uh, yeah, I know there was like tech gremlins that stopped by for a second, uh, and here we are, and we're so excited to have you on the show, Rich. Absolutely. So I, I want to just yeah, happy ask to be here. you, um, did, the, did the creative arts choose you or was it a conscious career choice that you worked towards um, and, and what inspired it? What inspires you? Um, you know, I have never been afraid to try new things in my life. Um, so I, I've done a little bit of everything. I've worked in radio. I've worked in film and television. I owned a theater, produced um, plays for almost a decade. I've worked in the film industry. Uh, I've even worked for two presidential and one senatorial campaign as a paid staffer. Um, I own a comic book store, and now I get to write comics for a living. So um, my life has been many things, but it's never been boring. Um, and, uh, you know, if I see an opportunity for something interesting that I want to do, I, I go for it. Um, I've always done that. I've never been the kind of person that gets tied down um, to one thing. Uh, my parents were both very blue collar. They punched a time clock for 40 plus years each. And that just, that just wasn't for me. You know, I, I couldn't do that. So I always kind of go uh, follow my interests and chase my dreams. Hmm. And that's very inspirational uh, because there are a lot of people who are afraid and maybe they yeah. try one thing and it doesn't work. So, you know, you, you are an inspiration to others um, and some people aren't comfortable with that, but then some people are like, no, I have to do this. So, that must be one of the things that drew you, I would imagine, to horror, because we're always curious, like what, you know, what draws a person to the genre that they're focused in or that they're passionate about? So Yeah, I, I am a huge horror fan. I, I love to be scared. Um, and, you know, I, I think I'm probably one of the easiest people on the planet to scare because I want to be frightened. I go into horror movies, you know, some people go into them and they want to pick apart every little flaw in the plot or whatever. I go into them and I want them to scare the heck out of me. Um, and that goes all the way back to when I was a little kid. I used to hide, my parents had this big black couch in their living room and I would hide behind it and peek around the corner uh, to watch Scooby-Doo. And my mom would get so mad because it would scare me. And she said, I'm never going to let you watch that again. And I would cry and beg and plead. And eventually she'd let me watch it. Um, you know, but that, that adrenaline rush that I get from, from being afraid, um, there's nothing that compares to it, at least nothing I've ever found. 
So um, I had the privilege of uh, seeing um, a lecture by Stephen King. And one of the things he said um, stuck with me. Uh, he said, if you want to write effective horror, write about what scares you. Um, so I took that to heart. Um, and uh, most of the things I've written, um, you know, always seem to gravitate toward that horror genre. So it, it's definitely a passion of mine. Um, and, uh, you know, I get a good rush out of it. Well, at least it's it's legal. <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> there are a lot of other ways you can get adrenaline rushes, but you know, those, the, most of those will kill you too. So. I, I had to. Have I get to kill other chuckle. people in my books. I, I had to have a quiet <laughs> chuckle to myself just listening to you, Rich, because you know my sons are are are, um, mm. are adults, um, and uh, but my oldest he still gets a kick out of hiding and then scaring, scaring us. You know, it, it's just. <laughs> I love it. I love it's, it. It's the favorite thing to do. You know, he's done that since he was a tiny little tot and he still oh, does it. Well, we're big Scooby-Doo fans. So I, I, I really love Scooby-Doo. Gosh, I know. <laughs> oh my goodness. Great impersonation of Scooby-Doo. So, but. <laughs> so when people look at someone like yourself, you know, you're you're an accomplished author. Um, you're an accomplished actor. People never see the hurdles. They see, as they say, the the reels. So, what are the kind of or hurdles, or what are some of the hurdles that you've had to overcome, and what was your key learning um, in your process to getting to where you are now? You know, uh, I'm one of those people. I I either don't see the hurdles or I just ignore them. Um, I'm a firm believer that you can't wait for someone to open the door for you. You have to kick it down yourself. Um, so that's my philosophy when I go at things. Um, you know, uh, some of the hurdles in the beginning or the challenges, um, you know, getting noticed and getting in contact with the right people who, um, who, can, get, uh, who can get you into the industry. That's, that's the obvious obstacle that most people are going to think of. But really and truly, um, my biggest obstacle, and I think this is true of every writer, um, is uh, the struggle inside yourself um, and keeping the discipline um, to actually put yourself into an office and keep office hours. Uh, Todd McFarlane, uh, the creator of Spawn and the guy who redefined uh, Spider-Man for a generation, he just actually um, said something about this. If you want to do this as a professional um, you know, you can't treat it like a hobby. You can't just do it when you feel like it. And you can't, uh, you know, you can't let mom call you up and say, hey, I need you to run an errand for me today. Or, hey, can you go pick up dad's prescription? You know, you have to be able to say, no, I'm sorry, mom, I'm working. Um, you know, because this, if you, there's nothing wrong with pursuing writing as a hobby. Um, a lot of people do that and it's great. But if you're one of the people that you want to make a living out of it, uh, you know, you've got to have that discipline. Um, so that that's probably the the, the biggest uh, obstacle. Um, but and you know, flipping back to what people perceive as the biggest obstacle, getting into the business really isn't that difficult because there are a lot of people out there that want you to succeed. Uh, you know, I I was very privileged. Um, I was able to get in contact with uh, some writers and artists that I really admire. Um, publishers like Joe Pruitt at Aftershock, um, you know, just by being polite and talking to them as and talking to them as a human being, um, instead of just trying to get something from them, uh, built those relationships. 
And they were more than willing to help me out back when they had no reason to. I mean, I, I was nobody. Um, you know, I'd never had anything published. I just had this, you know, crazy idea. And I decided to empty my bank account to hire the artists and the, the colorists and the letterers and the cover artists to create something really cool. Um, just on the chance that it might get published, even though, you know, the odds were pretty much stacked against me. Um, so that there are people to support you and help you over that initial obstacle of breaking in. If you've got a, if you've got a great idea, do something with it, complete your project. And, you know, it's like field of dreams. If you build it, they will come. Absolutely. And Bergetti, he's sitting here talking to us. And I'm thinking he needs to be a part of our action takers network because it's all about, you know, kicking down doors and overcoming and, and not letting fear stand in your way to get you where you want to be. And so mm -hmm. that's a lot of the conversations that uh, and teachings that are out there, of a lot of the, the, the folks that we know. So of all the things that you have done, what do you feel like is one of the most significant successes or significant things that you have accomplished? You know, I'm very proud of my time uh, as a theater producer. Um, we, uh, when I came out of college, uh, I had $200 in my bank account, and I decided that I was going to uh, start a theater company, and eventually I was going to buy a theater. Um, and within, within a year, uh, I had founded the theater company, and within three years, uh, I had bought the theater. Um, it was a, a pub and theater in Wilmington, North Carolina called the Brown Coat Pub and Theater. Uh, huge Firefly fan. I know it's not cool to like Joss Whedon these days, but he was a huge influence on me. I think you can separate the art from the artist sometimes. Um, so name the, the pub and theater after Firefly because I love that. Um, but what I'm most proud of, uh, our mission statement was to support um, emerging artists in the southeastern North Carolina region uh, and help them produce their works. Uh, so we would find people um, who were like me, who just had a really, really strong passion, uh, passionate idea for a play. Uh, and uh, we would provide them with a place to perform, a place to rehearse, the resources, you know, a professional crew that could help them put their, um, put their production together. Um, and then marketing, uh, we did all of that for them. And, um, you know, I'm very proud to say that within, you know, in the 10 years that I owned the Brown Coat, uh, we produced well over um, 100 uh, full-length theatrical productions. Uh, we founded a film festival. We did 52 episodes of a live weekly uh, sitcom. Um, and, you know, I was able to help a lot of uh, really cool people um, you chase their dreams. And so I think that's what I'm most proud of is what I, you know, being able to be in a position to help others uh, like me um, do what they want to do. That is amazing, Rich. Oh my gosh. That's so amazing. Uh, we have professional and community theater here where I live. So mm -hmm. it was a part of uh, the professional theater getting it started. So I, I know what that feels like to be able to provide that space for people. And um you, creatives have a different um, energy about them. If they can find their like-minded pals, you could just see people grow and blossom in a way that they might not if they did not have that avenue. It allows that part of them to come out that sometimes is shut in or shut down. So it's a great mm -hmm. outlet for people. 
Yeah, it can, you can get stymied really quickly and you can give up because it, it's not easy to produce anything creatively, um, especially when you're doing it on your own, um, you know, and um, it, it takes a lot of resources and, you know, a lot of just psycho belief in yourself. I mean, you have to believe that you can take over the world or you're going to get crushed by it. Um, you know, so, but the cool thing is, again, in the creative world, other creative people want to see other creative people succeed. Um, at least that's been my experience. Um, so I, I'm more than happy to, to pay that forward. Um, you know, again, I had really cool people uh, when I was getting into comic books. Um, I had some really cool people who provided me with guidance and advice and friendship, uh, mentorship when they had no reason to. Um, so I'm more than happy to do that for other people. Um, you know, and I think, I think that's something to be, to be proud of, not what you can do yourself, but what you can help others achieve. That is awesome. You know, I think you've dropped so many, um, gems that people can learn from if they're wanting to get into the creative space or just, uh, level up a little bit. It's one of our favorite sayings, level up on what you're I love doing. That. Just get better. Um, you know, so I believe you've got copies of the Cult of Dracula and the Rise of Dracula. Um, mm -hmm. I do. Tell us a little bit about the, you know, <clears throat> the the artwork. Can you can you do a bit of a show and tell for us because it's not really a novel that you can <laughs> read a story out of. Yeah. Can you do a little bit of a show and tell out of both books so people uh, can get a sense of it? And and I also want to know who is your, you know, do you use a creative team of artists? Um, you, yes. you check them out. How did you decide on them? Just tell us a little bit about the actual artwork. Yeah. Um, so uh, I'll start with uh, with Cult of Dracula. Um, you know that was that's the the granddaddy of them all right there. Um, and I was able. Um, so the creative team, uh, thankfully, it's been able to be mostly consistent. Uh, throughout the book, we did have to make an, an artist change with issue three of Cult of Dracula. Uh, Henry Martinez um, was my original art artist, and this this is some of his art right here um, from Cult of Dracula number one. Um, Henry, uh, very talented artist, he came up with Larry Hama um, at Marvel, worked on Ghost Rider, Johnny Blaze, Spirits of Vengeance, some very well known uh, comics in the nineties. Um, and I was very fortunate to be able to work with him on my first book. Uh, unfortunately, uh, 2020 was, um, was a hell of a year and COVID, um, decimated, you know, the world. Uh, and unfortunately Henry got hit pretty hard with that and he was unable to continue, uh, with the book. Uh, one of the things about writing a comic book that's very difficult, uh, is you have, as an artist, you have to produce a page a day. If you can't do that, um, you're not going to be able to work very long because, um, you know, it's everybody is sympathetic that you're sick or that you're having these challenges. But ultimately, there's a whole lot of people and, you know, a whole publishing company that depend on you being able to get your stuff in on time. Um, so Henry, he called me up one day and he said, Rich, I just I can't do it. I can't I can't even sit at my drawing table. I can't hold a pencil. Um, so we kind of had to scramble from that point um, to find an artist Thankfully, SourcePoint Press, um, my publisher was uh, able to uh, connect me with several different artists, um, ultimately decided on Puis Calzada, um, brilliant artist with some great horror credentials um, on his resume. 
Um, and his style was similar enough to Henry's that it wasn't jarring to the audience when we made the shift. Because sometimes in the middle of a, a comic book run, if you have to make an art change, that can kill a book. Uh, because it can, you know, it just crushes your audience when they're accustomed to seeing art a certain way. So Quise was able to naturally um, blend his style in with Henry's. So a lot of people don't even realize there was an artist change after issue three. Um, so I'm very happy with that. Um, and Puis, uh has stayed with me. He's um, he's my artist on uh, Rise of Dracula. He'll be my artist on uh, Reign of Dracula, which is the third volume uh, coming out in 2023 from SourcePoint Press. Um, and creative, uh, the rest of the creative team, Alex Zeef does colors, um, and, um, Dave Lentz does my letters. Um, so what happens in comics for your audience that may not be familiar? Um, I write a script, uh, much like a screenplay. There's a lot more similarity between a comic script and a screenplay than there is between a comic script and a novel. Um, so I would send my script pages over to Puis, he'd do pencils and then inks. Um, and then those would get sent to Alex to do colors. And then Alex would send them over to Dave to do letters uh, that he puts all the dialogue and stuff. Um, and then each one of those at each stage, you know, they send them to me for approval. Um, so it, it's a complicated process. There's a lot of people that work on comics, you know, and that doesn't even touch the, the publishing staff, you know, the editorial like Jacob Way and Garrett Gunn. Um, and all the people who work in the, the warehousing, um, the marketing, uh, you know, it, it, a comic book is, uh, it's, it's a big operation, um, for something, you know, so tiny, um, a lot of, a lot of people work on it and they work really, really hard. Mm, it's, and there's a lot that goes into, and it, it is a lot more expensive to publish. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, what, their cost mind, um, for me, when I was listening to you, it's like, you know, that saying when it says it takes a village. Yeah. Yes. It really does take yes. a village to, to produce yeah. a comic book by this, you know. And, and yeah, I'm there are. There... No, please go nice on. It's nice to explain the process, you know, because anyone who may be, may be curious, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of hard work. It, it really is. Yeah, I mean, there are a few freaks of nature out there that can do everything themselves. I mean, I know a few people who they write. Uh, my friend Les Garner, um, he's the creator of Apocalypse Girl, and he did everything on it. I mean, he did the pencils, the inks, the color, the letters, everything. Um, and he even self-published it for a while before SourcePoint Press picked it up. And I, I don't know how he was able to do that, you know, um, but those are certainly the exceptions, not the rule. Uh, most comics, uh, just like just like a film, um, you know, they're on a film. There are hundreds, if not thousands of people working on it. Um, comic books, you know, maybe a dozen to a couple of dozen people help make bring them to life. But, um, but yeah, it takes a village for sure. Mm. My, my daughter is a, a published uh, illustrator and she does oh. her own comics. Yeah. She has started her webtoons. So she's nice. She's, she's one of those freaks of nature. So I, I'm like you going, well, I can do stick figures and flowers. That's about what I'm getting. At, so. <laughs> hey, I just learned how to draw teeth. So oh, um, that's awesome. <laughs> I'm a, I am a terrible artist. Um, but I do these conventions, you know, I'm signing my books next to some really fantastic artists. 
And so well, there's a thing in the comic book world. Um, uh, used to be people just wanted signatures on their books. Now they want what's called remarks. So they want the artist or the writer to do like a little sketch on the cover. And I was doing these awful little stick figure things and writing like, hey, I told you I was a writer. You've got, I've only got you to blame. Uh, you know, but Jordan Dorenzo, who's going to be my artist on my next book, uh, Prometheus and Chains, which is a play on Mary Shelley's Frankenstein set in post-World War II um, atomic age. Um, Jordan was like, man, you, you got to stop with this. I can't sit here and let you do this garbage. And so he's like, I don't think of something simple that you can learn to draw. And he's like, okay, teeth are basically just triangles and diamonds. And so he sat down and showed me how to draw vampire teeth. And so now those are the sketches I do for my remarks. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm a terrible artist. That is so funny. You know, it is amazing how popular there is such an immersion that I see in this generation right now in all of the comic and the DC and the Marvel and all the different universes in the world and the Comic Cons and the all that stuff is so um I it's it's very, very, very busy here where we mm -hmm. live. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it really is. Um, you know, I like to I like to say there's a comic for everyone. Uh, no matter what you're into, I promise you there's a comic book out there. I mean, there's a, people sometimes think that comics are just the superheroes, the capes and tights. Um, that's not true. I mean, there's horror, sci-fi, fantasy, action, action-adventure, comedy, romance, LGBTQ. There's even BDSM comics. I mean, whatever you're into, I promise you there's a book out there uh, for you. It's just, uh, you know, you, it's just a matter of it finding you or you finding it. Um, but yeah, it's a fascinating world. I love that um, television and film companies are starting to mine um, the original IPs um, for, for content. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's a really incredible world we're in. I, I like to call it a golden age of comics. Uh, there, there's a certain segment of the comics community that's really down on things that think, you know, that they think the best days are over and comics are in decline. And I fervently disagree with that. Um, superhero comics are suffering. Um, I like to say superheroes are dead. They just don't know it yet. Um, but and that doesn't mean that they're going to go away. That just means that they're losing market share to genre comics. Uh, you know, the horror, the sci-fi, the fantasy. Um, comics are growing up. Um, you can't do um, you can't do just a pay you know a, a book that's twenty eight pages of Wolverine punching somebody anymore. Um, audiences want more. They want depth. There are more adults reading and collecting comics now than maybe at any time in history. So they want more mature, more complex stories and more complicated characters. And so that's where the indie genre comics really get to shine. Um, and, uh, you know, so, yeah, it's, it's a great industry to be in. And I think I, I think the future is even brighter than our past. I agree. So what's next for you, Rich? Uh, so next, um, uh, I'm, I'm, well, excuse me, lost my train of thought there. Um, so I'm working on a book called Prometheus and Chains. Um, it's a play on Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. Um, I'm being pretentious as all heck, and I fully admit it, because the title of the book is Prometheus and Chains or Rich Davis's Frankenstein. Now, if you're familiar, if you're familiar with Frankenstein and you're a big Victorian horror dork like me, you'll see what I did with that title because um, 
when Shelley wrote Frankenstein, she called it, she called it Mary she- or she called it Frankenstein or a modern Prometheus. So I'm doing a play on that. I'm just flipping it upside down and making Prometheus the, the title. And then the subtitle is Frankenstein. Um, so that's just, I, I love Victorian horror. That's probably my favorite era of horror that those, those penny dreadfuls, that style. Um, so I try to pay respect to the people who came before me. Um, and these just brilliant genius creators like Mary Shelley and Bram Stoker, um, Pierce Bish Shelley. Um, you know, I love to, even Jane Austen wrote some really cool horror, um, with Northanger Abbey at that time period. Um, but anyway, um, I like to pay homage to those, uh, and tribute, um, as often as I can. So kind of playing around with that on the, on the title for my Frankenstein book. Nice. I love it. I love it. Okay. I'm going to ask you a fun question. Are you a Stranger Things fan? I love Stranger Things. <laughs> yes. 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 Oh my gosh. I, I'm an eighties kid, seventies and eighties. Oh yeah. Kid, right. So I, the first time I tried to watch it, I couldn't get through it in the beginning. Cause I kept telling my daughter, it reminded me of being a kid watching the early horror movies in the seventies and eighties. Yep. And you're terrified of the woods. So you don't go in the woods. Right. Mm-hmm. Cause there could be, you know, anybody in there right but then we got past it and so now it's i think it's a great thing to have that connection with that younger generation that's so into it and um you know we we've got a lot of stranger things around here and and actually one of my girls that her college dorm has the lights flickering (laughs) (laughs) i love that yeah, I know. It's like, yeah, we got to change his light bulbs. <laughs> yeah. So I just, I just wondered if you thought it was cheesy or like brilliant no. writing. It's brilliant. Um, it, it's absolutely, especially the the most recent recent season. Um, this this most recent season was the first one that to me felt like horror. Um, the the previous seasons had kind of felt more like a like a Steven Spielberg style um, thriller um or you know an intense drama uh but this season with vecna um they they really dove into that 80s slasher mentality there was a lot of references to nightmare on elm street which you know nightmare on elm street was a genre defining um horror film i mean you know you're throughout all of human history you're safe in your bed just cover your head and the bad guy the boogeyman can't get you well, where does Freddie come at you? He comes at you in your dreams. So it was terrifying. And so I was really glad that Stranger Things uh, leaned into that um, and uh, really kind of made the shift into a, a real horror uh, television show. I mean, there, there were times where I was legitimately scared uh, watching this season of, uh, of Stranger Things. And I write scary stories for a living. So, um, you know, I, I thought the Duffer Brothers, very brilliant writing. Uh, the cast is spot on perfect. Um, I, I, I'm now regretting that I didn't wear my Hellfire Club t-shirt today. I was this close. <laughs> but um, Eddie Munson is probably the, the, the best character ever created on the show. Um, and I went, I went to school with Eddie, man. I mean, I know those guys. And I, didn't we all go to school with them? Yes, because it was the yeah. 80s, isn't it? rocker hair Bridgetti, you remember the hair you know oh, curly yeah. hair and and, and <laughs> rocks, you know and rock and roll in that time period was a way for us to express ourselves right because rock then it was, was different crazy time now. it was a crazy time oh, yeah. so they 
they take this Eddie character and they they give him Red Bull, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's a great description of him. And it's like, I don't know, just watching the brilliance of what they did with it is it, it really was uh, it was just like so all of this younger generation gets to know what it was like for the generation that lived during that time mm -hmm. and, you know, what it was like in school. And, you know, in it's even though it was crazy then it's I don't know, it's not as crazy as school is now. It's just totally different. But, you know, well, you know, we didn't have to worry about, you know, people with AR-15s coming in and shooting up the school. Um, you know, it was definitely, you know, what we were worried about or our parents were worried about was that, you know, that they were going to use D&D &D to recruit us into satanic cults and then they were going to kidnap us. And especially if you were a blonde haired blue eyed kid like I was, um, you know, that whole satanic panic thing of the 80s. Uh, I still remember that vividly. Um, so that's what we had to be afraid of when uh, when we were going to school. So, right. you know, we, which wasn't really a thing. It was just, I don't know, people... People back in the 80s tended to get real bent out of shape out of a lot of just stupid things. <laughs> yes, it was, right. it sure was a different time. Anyway, yes, I, it I, was. Hate, <laughs> I, I hate to break up this party. We could go on for an hour or I more. I know. We got to bring, bring Rich back on. I know, right? Anytime. Rich Davis part two or 2.0. Well, I'm cool with that. We have to invite you back, Rich. Thank you so much. And a huge big thank you to our audience. And if you missed half of the show, you've got to rewatch it because Rich dropped so many gems for you. If you are wanting to get into the game space or just level up, rewatch the show um, and draw on those amazing gems that he shared. Rich, thank you so much. Thank you, everyone. We'll see you back next week on another episode of the Writer's Corner live show. Mm -hmm.